From out of the lab and into the gym, it's the Coach B Plus Applied Sports Science Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is episode number six of the Coach Me Plus podcast. Uh, today, we have Coach Devin McConnell, the head of sports performance from UMass Lowell, the uh, River Hawks. Uh, got into some really good conversations today about his off-season and in-season training, uh, what he does with his hockey team and his field hockey team. Uh, touched a little bit on the Olympics and uh, we'll call back to CVAPS and uh, the, uh, the show over, uh, over this summer. A um, few housekeeping notes. You can follow him at dmcconnell29 on Twitter. And uh, he also gave his email address in there as well, so you can reach out to him. Um, and, of course, for us, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, uh, just use your app, whatever, iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is that you're using. Or you can go to coachmeplus.com and uh, click the subscribe link up at the top right corner. You can also get access to the Coach Me Plus Applied Sports Science newsletter, which basically gives out um, tons of information every week, uh, things like white papers and uh, the latest in applied sports science. Um, so without further ado, Coach Devin McConnell. All right, so we got Coach uh, Devin McConnell here on the uh, podcast. He's the head sports performance coach from UMass Lowell, uh, the River Hawks. Um, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Good, really good. Uh, so I don't know if you have you heard any of the podcasts that we've done. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. I try to stay very up to date. Good stuff. Yeah, um, it's you know it's it's interesting because there there's a bunch of podcasts that are out there and. Um, I think my favorite's the, the the Rob Pacey stuff. Yeah, you know he does a really good job. And um, but some of the other guys that have been doing it for a while, you get into uh, a coach coming on board, and it's like, well, give me your resume. Spend twenty minutes about how you got started in in the in the uh, you know in the industry. Uh, give me your full CV, and then we'll maybe get into actual the meat and grind of you know yeah, right. actually doing stuff. So I like to just bypass all that. If they, if anybody wants to know. Uh, who you are? Obviously, they can they can look you up and and look at your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> there you go, easy piece of cake. Yeah. So uh, we were kind of uh, chatting before this. Um, you said that you're you're basically wrapped up with your summer blocks right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so my I have basically two primary teams: uh, ice hockey. We just finished up. That's our 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 big sport here at UMass Lowell. We just finished up our summer block. They're home for two weeks. And I have field hockey who just started last week their preseason. So um, ice hockey's done for a little bit. Catch my breath from that. But field hockey's kind of up and rolling now. So getting right back into it. So when you're when you're dealing with, um, you know, you got women's sport and men's sport. Um, they both have the word hockey in it, but they're not similar at all for anybody who's. Yeah, right. <laughs> who's uh, but like, how how are you? How are you? Like we. Let's get let's like get into the nuts and bolts of it. How are you programming uh, for the blocks for the athletes and for the different sports? Is it pretty generic, or are you are you breaking it up and, and giving them specific sport specific programming? Yeah, so I'm. Um, I guess I'd consider myself more of a generalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of what I'm going to do with everybody that I train or ever have kind of trained, um, from a philosophical standpoint at least, is going to be pretty similar. Sure. Um, so uh, you know. 90% of what I do with field hockey is sort of the same template, the same 
thought process is what I do with ice hockey. Um, I'm with ice hockey 24-7, basically 12 months a year here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a very uh, dedicated position. We're in the Right now we're in the hockey arena. We have our own facility, the whole deal, the whole nine yards. Yeah. So I'm, I'm more specific with them. I break the team up into um, uh, right now three different groups and, and slightly different um, training emphasis per group, whereas field hockey – um, a little bit more, a, a lot more general for a couple reasons. One, I'm not with them as much. I'm much more traditional, sort of, I see you twice a week, three times a week in the weight room kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a training age standpoint, um, you know, the ice hockey players typically come in, we tend to get older players, so we get kids that are 19 or 20 coming out of junior um, who usually have at least some sort of training background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their training age is, is further ahead. Uh, then, then the field hockey kids we get that you know are traditional seventeen, eighteen year old freshmen, and um, most of them, a lot of them, have not done a whole lot of structured strength and conditioning work. So it's it's a lot more general with field hockey. Um, it's still general in a sense with ice hockey, but I, I do get uh, a little bit more detailed with them as they kind of progress through their career. Yeah, I was kind of lucky enough with uh, with Coach McKenna to be in your facility when you had the, the the hockey guys in, and you know you've got all the guys on the racks. They're all you know they're following their your workout pattern. They're they're going through their program and everything else like that. And you're actually there to watch them, make sure you know you got your spot checks and safety checks, but you're actually looking at form and everything else like that, which is hands on and, and works well for you. But if you got the field hockey uh, team and you're going with more of a lower training age program, um, how are you, I guess, you know, how are you checking on them to understand like where they are, if they're getting better, are they getting stronger, are they getting faster, are they actually using correct form, like all the things that, um, you know, you want to do as a coach and you want to be hands-on with, but you're not actually able to do as much hands-on with. So how are you checking with, with the field hockey team? Yeah, well, I mean, all their all their training is with me. I'm just... You know, with ice hockey, like I'm at practice, I'm on the road with the team. Um, with field hockey, you know, when it comes to uh, technique and form and things like that, I mean, uh, you know, um, we're very structured in how we train, um, and everything is very um, progression and regression based. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I whether it be a, you know squat pattern, um, everybody's going to start with. Uh, a certain a certain uh, uh, tool to develop the squat pattern, and we're going to progress or regress based on competency. And then from a from sort of a uh, development monitoring standpoint, I mean, we're going to do all the all the stuff that all the other strength coaches are going to do. We're going to do strength testing to to be able to evaluate development there. We're going to do vertical jump and ten yard speed to to uh, be able to monitor change and, and track change over time with that stuff. So th- sure. those are the ways that we kind of try to quantify what we're doing with the field hockey program. So then um, how, how, uh, how often do you actually get to see the team? Uh, so in the preseason, which is what we're at right now, we're, we lift twice a week. Okay. Um, and then we usually do uh, most of their games are um, uh, Friday, Sunday, okay. at least the season. So typically Thursday we'll do sort of a recovery regen session after their practice. Mm-hmm. So I'll see them then. And then um, – the, the way our campus is set up, we're, we're a, an urban campus, and we're actually split into three pieces sort of across the city a little yep. bit. Yep. So where I am in the ice hockey weight room is sort of across the bridge and around town from where field hockey is. So 
I try to get over there to practice uh, when time allows and, and just be able to see them and uh, if I can jump in and, and run a warm up or just to watch how they move and, and see how they're doing. But uh, that's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how it works. Got it. Yeah, because I mean, for a lot of coaches, they they might be getting into um, you might be getting into the space for the first time, and it's like, okay, uh, I'm expecting that I'm actually going to be looking at somebody while they're doing a squat and actually be able to uh, give them verbal cues and all this other stuff. But you know, chances are that you're going to be doing a lot more remote coaching in a setting like yours, right? Um, no, it's, I mean, it's still not going to be remote coaching because when when we are going to schedule team lifts, okay, you know, I'll I'll be there with with the team so they're never they're never training they're never training in the weight room without me it's just that i'm not going to be necessarily present for practice and you know on the road and things like that okay got it cool yeah it's a it's a question that we get a lot is um you know uh can i you know if, if i'm not with my athlete how do i actually deal with it yeah yeah well what you know and that's the thing was like uh during the summer when they're not here um that's a whole nother that's a whole nother ball game you know, oh, and yeah, yeah. and uh, with our ice hockey program, our teams we bring our team back for the summer and they train. Um, with the field hockey program, when they go home for the summer, you know they go home with a training program. But it's you know I don't see them for the next whatever three months sure. until they come back. So whether they're doing it, whether they're doing it correctly, and you hope that by the time they leave campus, that you know you've ingrained habits and and you've you've taught things well enough that that uh, they're going to go home and and perform exercises correctly but knowing that it is what it is and, and uh, they're going to be on their own uh, again that dictates a little bit of what you're going to do from a programming standpoint because yeah. it's certainly not going to get as complex uh, with the field hockey program in the summer because I'm not going to see them whereas with with uh, the ice hockey team you know again we can go further down that rabbit hole because they're actually on campus with me and I don't have to worry about them doing something silly or, or not understanding what an exercise is that we've programmed or something like that. So for, for the coaches, uh, you know, might be listening overseas or, or high school coaches or whatever, like they might not understand the regulations that you have to deal with on the NCAA level for what you can do in season and off season. Can you kind of scratch on that a little bit on the surface? Yeah. So there's big, there's big time constraints that differ, that change depending on the season. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in the off season, uh, in the NCA, uh, for most sports, there's eight hours allotted to uh, athletically related activities. I believe is the terminology. <laughs> Anything to do with the sport falls into that eight hours. And it seems like eight hours seems like a, a pretty good chunk of time, but when you think about um, that, is going to be partially uh, individual skill sessions with coaches. Some sports are going to be able to practice uh, strength and conditioning uh, if the team is going to be doing, you know. Uh, any any team activities if they're going to do volunteer work or things like that those all fall into that so that eight hours in the off season can very quickly get whittled down to not a lot of time sure. um, if if it, the program for whatever reason um, spends a lot of time doing those other things uh, in season your your amount of, the amount of time you actually have with the student athletes from a training perspective is even less um, in most sports it's about two hours a week uh, so it's it really narrows down the window. Of uh, of actual training time that you get with with the athletes. So um, you know you're you're dealing with a limited time set. You're dealing with um, two different populations. You have educated athletes. You have un- uneducated athletes. By that I mean training age. Um, so you're you're really kind of like all over the board with 
like who you're dealing with and how you're dealing with them, right? Yeah, no question. Yeah, yeah, very, very different populations. Interesting. So, um, you know, some other things that we saw when we were uh, at your facility, um, you know, you had uh, <clears throat> you had like a really great, um, I would say, like daily routine, like. Uh, Doug, Doug was like high-fiving me in the background when we saw the guys come in. I was kind of laughing because they put Adele on the, on the stereo and everybody just kind of like <laughs> chill out for a little while. Yeah. But, uh, can you explain like what your, what your day or your routine looks like when these guys first walk in the door from, you know, into actually getting up and warming up and, and, and working out? Yeah. So, um, we do try to do a bunch of stuff before they even walk in the door from, a. Yeah. uh, uh monitoring and a, and a readiness standpoint to have an idea of of who they are when they walk in the door that day because how they how they physiologically walk in on a Monday is, might be different than a Tuesday and then on top of that each individual is going to be different so yeah. um, the first thing our athletes do every day is a subjective questionnaire um, before they they come to the rink we we uh, in season we ch- um, we have a block of time in the morning where we, we practice and train and we do everything so the athletes have to be at the rink at, at nine o'clock in the morning. So by eight thirty, they have to have submitted their subjective questionnaire so that we sure. can see that data and, and start to make decisions. Um, when they walk in, uh, we then do a, a heart rate variability test. So when you guys were, were uh, laughing about Adele, it's because <laughs> we're going to lay down for five minutes as yeah. a team yeah. and use our heart rate system to get HRV, and we don't want you know, the, uh, the Euro techno music going when we're trying to calm down and get a resting heart rate. <laughs> so, um, we throw on some relatively sort of low key music. Yeah. We lay down for five minutes and we get a, we get an HRV reading. So now we're looking at a couple different pieces of data before we, before we either train that day or, uh, warm up and get on the ice to practice, um, or on a game day, same kind of thing. Uh, so that's the, that's the starting routine before we then, uh, even move into anything else. And we've added this summer, um, and I haven't fully gone through all the data to figure out what means what yet, but mm-hmm. we've added some jump profiling to nice. get an idea, hopefully, of uh, of CNS fatigue. And um, I want to try to build out some metrics to help to dictate a little bit more of what we're going to do on a daily basis based on some more of that information. So that's kind of where we're at right now. So it's interesting. You're, like you're, you know, you're dealing with um, you're you're a pretty good size school. You're, you're a really good hockey program. Um, you've got some budget, but you're not like spending a ton of dough on things. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned capturing HRV, and you mentioned doing jump testing for CNS fatigue. So obviously, you're not using something like Omega Wave to capture both of those things. Correct. Um, so you're just using your heart rate system for this, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then the CNS fatigue, you're looking at uh, baselining information, looking for jump over time, or yeah. So. Um... Uh, we're looking at uh, contact time on a drop jump okay. off of just the the benches, you know, the the bench press bench. Yep. Uh, so all standardized height, and we have uh, we have six platforms in our facility. We have six jump mats that'll give us contact time, um, and so we're trying to. We basically spent the summer doing that twice a week um, for six weeks to hopefully collect enough data to now be able to tease out, um, you know, some thresholds and and kind of know when. Their, their CNS is firing when it's when it's a little more sluggish and um, we want to be able to compare and sort of uh, collaborate with with our other data points to come up with um, a bigger picture of where they are and what what the appropriate 
you know, stimulus maybe that day or uh, what, you know, if it's a good day to hit the gas pedal or if, yeah. if this guy needs some aerobic work and just to, to relax or whatever it may be. Uh, and just add add some more context to the picture that we're looking at every day. So you got you got two pretty solid uh, fatigue numbers. Um, what made you choose uh, the the drop jump over you know some of the other things like you know grip strength or jump height or whatever? Yeah, um, partially logistically, we had jump mats already. <laughs> so so you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, if I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. be honest about it, so it's like okay, well, we got uh, at least some of the tools we want to we want to use. We our, our my athletes are very familiar with doing lots of work with the jump mats. We we test vertical jump and, and four jump and we just use them a lot anyways. Yeah. Um, and we, we use them in training. So again, there's a, a, a familiar familiarity um, piece of the puzzle to that. Yep. Uh, also some work that a, a friend of mine, uh, Daniel Martinez has done um, uh, in his, uh, his uh, master's program at Edith Cohen down in uh, Australia, mm-hmm. looking at uh, reactive strength index. And uh, he's, he's a, um, a volleyball, essentially a volleyball strength conditioning coach, and so yep. he is very deep into into jump metrics and, and understanding these things. And, and some of the work he's done has really kind of opened my eyes as far as using that contact time as an indicator of CNS fatigue versus uh, just uh, jump height. Yep. Because uh, jump height can be dictated or can be can be maintained even in the presence of fatigue uh, by altering jump mechanics. So. Without the without having uh, access to force plates, which would be perfect, uh, <laughs> this was sort of the next level that we could get to and still get. I think again, I haven't teased out the data yet, but I think some pretty um, uh, concrete uh, sort of lines in the sand as far as what uh, how they're firing and what they look like on a daily daily basis. No, I think I think you absolutely nailed it. The uh, the jump mechanics, like you can, there's a couple of things. Obviously, you know, understanding what what a um, back to training age, like, do you understand exactly what the jump movement should be? We're going to do a, a counter movement jump or whatever, and I want you to be stable. I want your arms to swing and so on. You can cheat that stuff. Right. So, um, it's a, you know, I, I hear a lot of different ideas on, um, you know, all the pros and cons on why we do certain types of fatigue testing and things like that. And that one, you know, that one automatically sticks out as like, well, you know, I can, I can cheat a jump test. Like, I can drop my ass a little bit more when I go up or whatever it might be. Yep. Um, so the mechanics get a little uh, get a little in the way, but the um, uh, I, I, I you know also read um, some of the things that uh, that they were doing with the uh, the volleyball team over there, and um, you know he was doing jumps into like reactive jump in, or a jump into an athletic movement, uh, just a standard drop uh, jump like off the mat, um, different things to. Uh, look for other correlations. So, like, I think the I think the jump into an athletic movement is very interesting because you, mm-hmm. know, you can start getting into, um, you know, uh, reaction time beyond just you know a, a landing or or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. That's cool. So, so you've got you know you've got your uh, fatigue nailed down, right? Like you're doing subjective questionnaires. You've got uh, heart rate variability coming in from your from your heart rate system. And you're looking at CNS fatigue, excuse me, from your jump mat. What are you using for load variables? Um, so our heart rate system. Okay, we uh, we track the main uh, uh, data point we track off of that is trimp. Mm-hmm. So we get training impulse, uh, and and we we wear the heart rate system in training. We wear it in practice and games. 
Um, so from a, a loading standpoint, uh, we look at, at trimp and we look at uh, what we call intensity density, which is basically trimp per minute. Yep. So we can evaluate um, essentially, and and more so, uh, more so on ice than in in lift. Um, the regardless of what our our training day looks like from a, a, a lifting standpoint, the trimp variables don't alter too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on ice, we really use those metrics to evaluate um, the loading of uh, of a practice or of a game, um, yeah. and and how they how they relate relative to you know any individuals you know sort of baseline higher lower. Um, and we look at it as a team as well, and we'll we'll plan as a staff. We will plan and alter our our training week, our practice week, based on which days we have found we need to have higher loads or lower loads or uh, higher volumes or lower volumes or whatever. Um, and we've been able to over the last few years correlate um, a certain strategy from a, a weekly loading standpoint to. Uh, a much higher winning percentage on the weekend. So we've, we've kind of been able to nail it down that, nice. you know, we go this length and this intensity on this day. And then over here we do it this way. And then when we kind of follow that script, we tend to, um, we tend to not necessarily, I, I don't think that that, you know, you can't ever say that that's, uh, why you win games or yeah, lose yeah. games, but what it, what I think it ends up doing for us in our program is it gets us to practice, at a, a, a certain tempo and a certain with a certain mindset that is very conducive for how our program plays. So when we show up on Thursday before the weekend and we uh, hit certain thresholds, uh, that kind of means that we're practicing the way we want to play, uh, and we're not just sort of having a uh, light, you know, walk through type skate the day before and then you know Friday night we don't have any jump because we kind of we turn the system off on Thursday. So. Um, that's been the biggest thing from a loading standpoint that we're able to track and monitor. How long, how long did it take you to capture enough data to, to start really understanding that? Um, we probably halfway through the first year we were using our heart rate system, which now is probably four or five years ago. Okay. We started to really, uh, see some trends or think we saw some trends. And when we kind of retrospectively went through the data and really, um, uh, kind of teased out some things. That's probably where we started to find out, or at least have a pretty good hunch that there was something there. Mm-hmm. And then probably by the end of that season, uh, the picture really became pretty clear that uh, paying close attention to those those variables with the heart rate system um, could tell us a lot about what we needed to get done and and where our our not only our conditioning levels, uh, you know, towards the end of the season were, but from a long term. Uh, development perspective and that's a, a big feature of our program at UMass Lowell is, is we take very seriously is is sort of a, a three four year process with our players and really developing players yeah uh, and we were able to kind of really start to tease those out after probably about a year it probably took a good year to find that stuff that's that's pretty cool and I mean you're, you're doing a lot with um, you know a heart rate monitor system it, it seems like it's the most basic of uh, monitoring techniques when you start getting into wearable devices but um, it gives you a lot to, to actually use as a tool, right? No question. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, aside from just the, the raw data that we, you know, that I pull out and, and look at uh, every day and we, we use to make those correlations and, and drive some decisions, um, from an education standpoint, the the system itself is fantastic. Our players, they want to know how many calories they're burning. They want to yeah. know... Um, what their recovery between shifts, you know, 
one of the first things our players do after games is come right over to my desk in the weight room. They want to see the heart rate system and see, well, how did I recover? That's I cool. felt really, I felt, I felt great in the first. I felt awful in the second. What did that look like? Oh yeah, that that's what that looked like. Um, uh, and 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 beyond that, it's, a, it's been a great tool again to drive education, to drive education on nutrition and hydration and things like yeah, yeah, this. Yeah. And, and why different guys are need, need to be doing different things from a conditioning standpoint or, or what have you. So it's, it's been a really helpful tool. So if you've been using this for five years, would, how would you say um, the acceptance of this stuff has happened with the student-athletes as like new kids have come in? Because obviously newer kid, like younger kids are totally used to being interconnected with something. Has yeah. it gotten easier or is it? Uh, yeah, it's gotten it's gotten easier. Um, it wasn't. I, w- I don't want to say it was ever really tough with our athletes. Okay. Uh, there was a little bit of a sell at the beginning, and you know the college setting is, uh, in some ways, is nice because if I say you have to wear it, mm-hmm. and my coach backs me up, which I'm very fortunate he he does, then you have to wear it. There's no ifs ands or buts. So yeah. from the start, there there wasn't a lot of problem, but it has gotten easier over time. One, I think you know again the the kids were coming in now. Uh, some have even worn heart rate systems on their, you know, their junior teams, or if they've they've uh, competed on a national team, they may have worn one, or, or certainly familiar with wearing a personal one in, uh, you know, in training or things like that. Um, and our culture at this point too has has built to this, the point where this is what we do. Yeah, you put this on, you walk in, we lay down for five minutes, we do HRV, we do jump testing, we do. It's just what we do, yeah. and uh, whether it's a they don't know any better or uh, now they have bought, you know, fully bought in because, you know, now this is my sixth year here. You know, we went from year before the staff came in and, and uh, with our current coach, the team won five games. And, you know, now we're developing professional hockey players every year and we've gone to the hockey's championship four out of five years. And, the, you know, so there's been success. And so I think when when kids come in to our program now, they see a track record of success, and so it's just, well, you know, I'm not sure what that is, but they're always really good, so I'm going to do it, yeah. you know, and so it's, it's a piece of the culture that's really uh, made it very easy to get buy-in. So, so you have survived, like, staff changes with the program uh, still bleeding or still going through? Uh, so I came with the new coaching staff, okay. so okay. I haven't, I, I've only worked for, for, uh, for this head coach, Norm Bazin, the whole time, so I've been yeah. fortunate uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because we, we see it in, I mean, you know, obviously the there's the coaching tree mentality where a coach comes in, he brings his staff, he also brings his methodologies and technology yeah. and everything else like that with him. And, um, you know, we've seen it happen where it does work, where you have a high-performance guy and he convinces the new staff that comes in, this is the way we do things and why we do it. Um, and then we've seen it get completely blown up, too. So it's... Sure. Um, it's a interesting spot to uh, to be in when you're when you're putting this type of thing in place. But if you can breed success, then you can do, continue to build on it. Your your spot. Yep. Um, so I was scrolling through your uh, I was scrolling through your um, Twitter feed and I saw a thing about regen days and, and cruising on the on the on the river. Yeah, the yeah, walk. yeah. <laughs> well, so so our arena is right on the Merrimack River. Yeah. Uh, it's a really nice really nice part of town and. There's a river walk that runs. I mean, it's right outside our door, yeah. and it walks right along the river. Um, past we have a minor league uh, baseball team just down down the street, so it walks right past the ball field and down yeah. to some of the dorms. And it's actually just a in the summer. It's a great little kind of kind of nature walk, almost kind of yeah. in the city. And um, so on our regen days, on our, our Wednesdays in the summer, uh, midweek, part of our part of our uh, 
program usually is uh, just to go for essentially a little, uh, little walk down the river and kind of relax and uh, catch some sun, which, you know, hockey players don't get much of, and especially in New England, <laughs> uh, low yeah. vitamin D and, and, you know, just be outside a little bit and, and uh, a little, you know, we try to have a little pace on the walk, so there's a little bit of aerobic metabolism going on and kind of all those good things. And, and um, uh, so that's one of, the, one of the tools that we use that we have in our, in our regen toolbox. Yeah. Do, so do, do the athletes actually realize, though, that it's helping them, or do they just like, oh, uh, come on, man? Well, they, they give me a lot of shit about it, usually. <laughs> um, but uh, usually the next day, subjective questionnaire scores are better. Yep. Uh, heart rate variability scores typically better. Yep. And just asking guys like, "Hey, like, how do you feel compared to the other day?" Now, there's you know, is it the nature walk or is it the the mobility circuit we do or is it just, hey, they can see the weekend coming up? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But you know, when they they complain about it, and then at the same time, I can show them the the data, and uh, and they they know they feel better. Um, we actually we're going to skip one on our last week. It was kind of our last week. I was like, ah, you know, we'll just cut out early, and you guys have done a good job. And guys are like, ah, we'll do it as a team. We'll just go for a walk. So hey, you get a little buy-in. They now they're doing it on their own. So you know, that's, that's, pl- you know placebo. That's... I don't know, but it's <laughs> whatever it is, it's working. It's not as bad as cupping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We might have, maybe we'll start that next summer to start cupping everybody. Oh man, I, you know, it's so funny because uh, you know Phelps Phelps is out there and he's got the you know he's got the marks and you know we're around this all the time so we know what it is. But the media just ate that oh. stuff up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the last Olympics or whatever it was. It was the kinesio tape, yep. you know, and everybody had that going. And yep. So what's the new thing that the media can grab onto and you know. I was kind. Of, I was kind of laughing. Somebody had uh, one of the U.S. Um, long distance female runners had a right strip on, like the breathe rights. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, that's throwback now. Right? Yeah, that's like, <laughs> that was like the first, like uh, the first thing, like twenty years ago. Yeah, it's coming full circle now. It's back to the breathe rights. Yeah, it's so funny because you know it, it just. But you know, part of it's mental, and like you're saying, if you if you guys are doing the nature walk, and that is. Uh, a physical as well as mental placebo effect, it actually has a real effect. I mean, what's going on in your brain is a real thing. And if that, you know, that feeling of, you know, I feel better because of this is actually part of the region, then, you know, what the technique is doesn't matter as long as it's actually getting the, the athlete exactly. to do it. Exactly. The, 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 what matters is that they feel better the next day. Yeah. How, it, how they get there doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? But then, you know, you'll see a hundred new or a hundred thousand new cupping facilities open up over the next two years um so i mean you're obviously watching the olympics now right um what are what are your thoughts on you know some of the performances that you've seen and things like that it's uh oh it's been incredible i mean uh, you know phelps bolt um I you know i don't even know some of the names but people are setting world records left and right it's just and, and i don't know if there's I'm sure there's data to, that people are going to find out about this, but it seems like there's more extraordinary performances. I mean, there there always are at the Olympics, but it seems yeah. like there's more than ever this time around across the board in all different events, all different sports. Yeah, um, athletes who shouldn't be like um, who's the guy that won the uh, decathlon yesterday? Um, damn, I can't think of his name. Oh yeah, the, the green, the last name, Ashley. the American guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forget his name, I but terrible. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. 
<clears throat> like, you know, three people have done it ever. Right. Where they went yeah. back to back. But it's yeah. like, well, it's common for, it seems more common for the extraordinary amount of things that are happening. Exactly. So, exactly. Is the, you know, like you're saying, is, is there training technique? Is there something going on behind the scenes to yeah. support this? Um, yeah. It's kind of funny, though. So we actually walked in this morning and we were talking about metal counts and things like that. And um, obviously sports science is the big conversation here every day. And we look at the Australians. And it's like, well, how come their metal count sucks? And it's like, well, uh-huh. don't think about the metal count. Think about the metal count per capita. And, you know, the Australian guys have been in the top 10 to 15 for the past, you know, 15 years or so. But there's also the counter argument that sport is sport and doesn't matter per capita, doesn't matter whatever, it's scoreboard. And you just look at 100 plus medals for the U.S. right now compared to the next one down, which is like 50 something. And it's like, okay, so what's better, getting the best value out of your athletes or having a big pool of athletes to be able to choose from? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a to me, you know, to me, it's it, you got to look at it per capita, um, it, because the reality is in a lot of in a lot of sports in a lot of places in the U.S. The reason we are dominant is because of our player pool. Yeah, because we can break more people. You know, I remember a um, a strength strength coach friend of mine who shall remain unnamed for this quote, <laughs> but uh, works at a, in a, at a school in a program where you know, they just flat out get the best athletes in their sport, in that yeah. sport. And he just flat out told me, he's like, listen, I, I understand the idea of you know, reducing the chance of injury and, and uh, being conservative, and, and that's the focus of, of training a lot of play. I get that. He's like, that's not my reality. I put horsepower in the engine. That's it. If I break a horse, doesn't matter. We have another horse. Yeah. He's like, that's just my reality. Like, I can just do some freaky things because if I if I hurt four kids, it doesn't matter because we have four more kids that are just as talented. Yeah. And but that's not that's that's the U.S. system in general. Yeah. Uh, that's not the rest of the world. And so I think looking at things per capita and being able to see, you know, who's who's able to do more with less. Um, that's, to me, that's really the, that's the point. That's the point of what we're all trying to do. Sure. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, Robbie Bork is a guy, guy out of Ireland. Yeah. All, all things strength and wellness. And he's a friend of mine. And I, I don't remember exactly who he was talking to, but he, I remember him talking about, uh, when he did an internship over here in the States, he did an internship at, uh, Mike Boyle strength and conditioning. Yep. And he was saying that there were, other trainers, other strength coaches there, just average average dudes uh, that wanted to be coaches who, based on some of their jump profiles, would be Olympic athletes in Ireland because the player pool over here the, is just huge. That, that much an average, the average guy over here is almost an Olympian in some places. So to see what countries like that can do um, when they utilize all of the available resources, sports science and good training and nutrition and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to me that's – way more valuable than just looking at, uh, well, you know, this country's got way more medals because they got way more people, you know, it's, <laughs> and not to, uh, Hey, I'm American. I'm proud as anybody else not to take yeah, anything yeah. away. It's exciting. But the reality is seeing what, you know, what Australia can do, uh, with, you know, a population that's nowhere near ours. No, it's 20. Uh, yeah. It, it's a great, there's uh, medals by, um, medals by, 
I don't what the hell is it called. Now I'm gonna have to look this up. Uh, MetalsperCapita.com. So okay. you know, it's a great site. Like you can go back, you know, for the past whatever, however many Olympics, all the way back to Athens, and see, you know, how have teams kind of there's a uh, how t- how have uh, countries kind of you know progressed through the ages. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because you know that 2000 Olympics when when Sydney. In, in Australia kind of just like splash this whole thing about sports science on the map yeah. and like shot straight up and then kind of hovered around that 15 uh, spot since then is you know telling that this stuff actually works but you know it's it's hard to ignore scoreboards so then you get into okay um, team sport versus individual sports and then you look at Bolt and Phelps and they're it's a, it's, you know, everybody, Bolt last night in the 200, he's this, you know, this far ahead of everybody else, and you've got literally eight guys all in the same spot for second right now. Right. Running, running the same race. Right. So you could see where, you know, maybe the science will, you know, get that separation from second and third and so on and so on, but then you got genetics. Right. And Bolt, like, you're just never going to. It's just Bolt, Phelps, they're not. Like I, those guys aren't human. Like those are aliens. <laughs> Sports science, it doesn't training. It doesn't matter. They're aliens. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you know. Like but I think what you do see is, like you said, in that in that other race for second, that's where now the one percent differences add up. Oh yeah. You know that's and for us in our program here, like that's we're looking for you know marginal gains. We we're looking for how many one percent differences can we find with our athletes in our program and that's to me that's that's the value of of sports science is being able to tease out you know like we do the subjective questionnaire thing every day does it drastically alter anything we do on any given day no a lot of times it doesn't change anything yeah but sometimes it changes one little thing for one player and that might mean one little difference that scores one more goal for us it's true you know and that that's the that's the that's how tight it can be. Uh, certainly for us in in college hockey, it can come down to that. And so that's to me that's where the that's where the value lays. You know? Yeah, when we when we're you know we talk on the pro level to uh, to a lot of teams, and it's you know a hockey team you've got let's say you got twenty five guys, and the top five are just your genetic you know skill guys that doesn't matter what you do, you can probably feed them beer and chips and they'll still do it. Yeah. And yeah. Then you've got your ten guys that you need to absolutely do those one percent. Um, incremental uh, gains on, and then the bottom five just, you know, guys don't care. It's not gonna, not gonna matter. Yeah. Yes, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But, but it's you're right though. It's that those ten guys, fifteen guys in the middle. Yeah. You move, you move that group up one percent, two percent over the course of eighty games. Yeah. That's a big change. That's a big difference. Right. You know, if they're slightly less fatigued, game seven. Stanley Cup Finals, then the other team, that ends up being a big difference, you know. Yeah, no, it totally does. So, uh, in in the Olympic side, like, what's your what's your sport in the summer? Um, I you know what I like all the sports that you never see. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I you know I enjoy track, I enjoy swimming. That's it's fun to watch those, but like watching handball, archery. Um, the badminton, badminton guys are badminton's insane. unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, all that stuff. I, there's, I, I do have to give a shout out to, to uh, volleyball, indoor men's and women's. There's 
three athletes that I coached when I worked at Stanford that nice two man. on the men's side and one on the women's side that are that are on uh, Team USA. So it's been fun watching them as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy I enjoy seeing the sports. Um, I like the uh, the velodrome, the the, the track cycling yep. is cool. Just I never you never see that. You know, it's um, <clears throat> that stuff's really neat to see. So I like that. Yeah, the sports that kind of come out of the work, and obviously the media attention in in the states is based on you know our ability to win the sports that are being shown. Um, you go to other countries, and like you go to you know some some uh, Asia Pacific countries, and like the badminton's number one because yeah, sure. you know, domination. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting though that uh, so you know you get some new sports like golf came in this year, and I'm watching the golf right. thing, and I'm just like. This doesn't feel very Olympic-y. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the same thing. Yeah, you know, and and yeah. we're gonna see we're gonna see baseball come back. I think. Yeah, baseball and softball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's some things that uh, you know, watching watching for different sports. Like I I love the throwers. I think the throwers <laughs> are you know completely under um, shown. I don't know how else to describe that, but you see these guys and they're just massive giant mm-hmm. people you know you take a shot put and throw it 50, right. 50 feet <laughs> and tell me <laughs> just you know it's it's incredible what they what they do so i yeah, no question there there's some of that stuff that i that i really get into as well where it's just like you just don't you know go and pick a pick a shot put up throw it and tell me how right. far you get it and yeah exactly these guys are chucking it yep yeah that's pretty crazy um so uh, let's see what else I got on here. Like we were talking about um, CVAPs here as well. Um, it was the last show that I did this summer, and I finally you know, we were talking about. It, I finally got to do my honeymoon, so that's why we didn't. Yeah, we, we skipped the podcast. But um, what was uh, anything that you took away from that that you that you really liked? CVAPs was awesome. I, I would say the biggest takeaway in general. Nothing um, you know specific. You know, no specific. Uh, information but just the the way the the conference was run and the like the the social side of it where <laughs> and i don't know if people are familiar but we, you stay in the stay in the dorms and yeah. for two nights you have you know cookout and beer and it's just such a everybody everybody's oops, happy with that except for buddy morris <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a great environment like i can't speak highly enough about it but um from the actual presentation i mean there every Every speaker had just some great stuff. Buddy Morris um, is, uh, you know, his level of, his depth of knowledge and for as long as he's been doing it, um, at the level he's been doing it at, was, uh, is just, and then his intensity is just impressive. Uh, uh, Derek Hansen's always really good. His, 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 um, just conversation on, on sprint training, speed training and, and, and how that applies in a team sport setting, I think is, is, uh, was fantastic. Is fantastic. I've seen him speak a couple of times. Um, Randy Ballard from Illinois, uh, really, really good stuff. Yeah. Sam code talked a lot about sports science stuff. All, all good things. All good things. Yeah. It's kind of funny that Derek, uh, he was out there presenting on, um, STEM. Yeah. The EMS uh, stuff. Yeah. And basically getting to a point where it's like, yeah, I don't even feel doms anymore. And it's like, yeah. What? Yeah. So one of our guys, Ethan, went out and he's like, "Hey, you know, he's reached, he's reached out to me. He's like, hey, I want to get a stim unit, and he showed him like a very expensive stim unit, but then he found a cheaper one and actually went through the protocol. 
and Ethan Ethan like texts me. He's like, "Dude, you gotta totally do this. It works." Yeah. And now I'm like really interested in, in figuring yeah. out like what the science is behind that. Yeah, I am too because it's that's another thing that I haven't personally um, toyed with at all. Yeah. But um, I've seen Derek talk twice now just this summer about the use of of STEM and EMS, uh, yeah. and we've had some conversations offline about it and and. My original, when he first talked about it, my original question to him or, or sort of concern was that um, it, certainly I know in the NHL it's probably like this in other sports too, but there there are some well-known groups of athletes or, or teams that essentially just do stim. Like they don't train. They yeah. just, like guys just slap on the unit and and to me that's just, that can't, I, you know, I, and I said this to Derek, I'm like that can't be, like you can't tell me that that covers all of the bases that everything that training is. It's not just, you know, stimulation of, of individual muscles. And he was like, no, he's like, I completely agree with you. He's like, that's not how we use it at all. That's how I it's, work out. Just sit there and yeah, just just blow the eyes up. <laughs> uh, for us, that's perfect. Like that's what I need <laughs> while I sit here at work. But but man, that was one of the things that he talked about was was really using it as a supplemental tool in conjunction with training, mm-hmm. whether it be, um, right along with, uh, you know, to, to hook somebody up to stim while they're going through training, you know, squatting or whatever it might be to, uh, facilitate some, some different adaptation or, uh, sort of as an accessory as a, a, a post training tool to overload tissue or, or even the, the, uh, regen and recovery, um, uh, use of the tool yeah. from, a uh, uh, nervous system sort of management tool. Um, and I think so that's, I, that's, I, where, that's where he hit it on, where I was sitting yeah. here, and I'm just like, you know, you're, you're basically like a monkey watching a man create fire kind of thing. And I'm <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. It was uh, it was very, very interesting. But, you know, there's the same thing with, um, have you seen the Halo unit? The No, I've heard of it. I've okay. not seen it. Yeah. So, so they were at MIT Sloan, and... Um, you know, they're just going, they wrapped up their validation studies and all this other stuff, and same kind of thing where the guy's basically saying, yeah, we're stimulating um, brainwave, brainwave patterns to give you, you know, central nervous system stimulation so that you can increase your gains, basically, right? Like, I'm going to go and squat, but I'm going to be able to squat 30% more because my uh, neuromuscular uh, system is primed because of this unit that's stimulating brainwave patterns and it's like again a monkey you know watching a man make fire i'm sitting there going wait what yeah it's it's really incredible like some of the things that they've got going on and it was kind of funny i'm watching the olympics and i I see all these guys with their beats headphones on and i'm trying to see if any of them had like halo yeah um well and that that would be my question to any of that type of stuff is uh assuming you know assuming what you're telling us is true and that you you're getting these uh, greater, you know, this greater stimulus, you know, in the actual training, that's, that's fantastic. But when you don't use the tool and then you go compete, does that effect carry over or is it something that's only, it's only there when you're using, when you're using that, you know, and I, and I have no idea. I don't know the answer to that, but that would always be my question is, um, you know, it's like, it's like doing complex training, uh, you know, okay. Like you're, you're increasing your vertical jump, Right now, right here, that's great if that's all we care about. But does that increase in power output transfer, you know, tomorrow, um, or does you know, 
I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to those things. There's certainly things that we do and we try to take advantage of, but uh, you know, I'm not sure that that uh, I'm not sure anybody really has those answers, at least at this point. No, and a lot of it's. I mean, a lot of it's so early, like you know what what they're what they're getting into. But that's you know that's the fun of uh, of being in the space is that you know you're constantly just like exposed to what seems to be rocket science, and it'll take you know a couple of years before people actually catch on and start using it in wide um, sure. usage. But um, you know, I think that the the technology is evolving so fast, and the acceptance that it's going to help has has opened up although you get like so I, I, there was an article that came out <clears throat> and uh the seahawks head coach is like yeah hey our, our gps units numbers are off the charts this year uh so my guys are you know highly trained i can tell right away and sherman goes yeah i'm not wearing that thing it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't want them knowing, you know, I don't want them uh, peeking behind the scenes on, on what's yeah. actually going on. So yeah. it's like you get, you know, you get some of these guys who are just like, nope, we'll never do it. Um, yeah. But if you can show that, like, you feel doms, right? You feel fatigue. And if I put this thing on you, you don't feel that anymore? That should yeah. be accepted. You yeah. know that you're getting better, you know, you know what your PR is when you hit the rack. And yeah. if I can put this headphone thing on and I can lift a little bit more, like I can actually feel that and see that. So um, there's there's that feedback that you're giving athletes when they're actually um, when they're actually in the training room and in the in the in the weight room that yeah. I think you know helps accept the technology. Yeah, well, no question. I, I think I think um, immediate feedback to the athlete is is huge. We do a little bit of uh, velocity based training here too, and the biggest benefit to those tools, to me, is is not the nitty gritty science stuff that we like. As far as you know, what's the what's the right you know meters per second for this adaptation or that? It's the athletes being able to see how fast they're moving instead of me telling them, "Hey, you got to move the bar faster." They're 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 seeing it. They yeah. know exactly what it is. Yeah. And using that as a competitive tool, our athletes compete with each other. They compete with them. Higher degree, which means they get much more output uh, and much more benefit out of whatever exercise it is that we're doing, sure. just because they're getting that feedback. And it's the same with any of the sports science stuff. You know, I think it's a. I think where coaches can go wrong is sort of keeping everything behind, behind, behind a curtain, yeah. and not not allowing athletes to see what you're collecting. Or again, I think the education is is huge and and being able to educate them as to what this stuff actually means and to that, that whole deal with the Seahawks and Sherman. And I get it. And then the NFL and it's, there's some different stuff going on and there's money involved. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. But there's a trust piece of this too, where even here at our level, and again, they basically have to do what I say, <laughs> but that doesn't mean they have to try that hard when they do it. So I yeah. still have to sell things to them. The more they, the more they understand, the more they learn the more I educate them about why it is we're doing these things and how this can help them, the more trust than they have in me and in these tools. And now they're not, and, and we've had this, I've had this with, with athletes where, you know, I have to, I have to build a relationship to the point with them that they trust me that because they have reported a poor subjective score today, that that does not mean that they are not going to play or that does not mean that I'm running to the head coach to say, hey, like, 
this guy, he was out all night. Like he needs this, you know, this punishment or X, Y, or Z, but it takes trust and yeah. it takes education to get to those points. So, I mean, it, you, you hit a great point where, um, you're using a VBT system that's actually giving you the feedback live while you're doing it. I see so many tech companies roll out with, you know, some unit that doesn't give you that feedback and immediately like buy-in just drops right off. Yeah. The guys don't yeah. care. Yeah. No, because they, the reality is they, even the guys that love being in the weight room, mm-hmm. they don't want to be monkeying around with stuff that takes extra time. They want to go, they want to do their stuff and they want to go. Yeah. If they if they have to monkey around with a tool that now doesn't even really give them anything, what they no buy in. They're not yeah. going to want to do it. So having that having that feedback is is crucial from a buy in standpoint. And again, I think that's the biggest for us at least. That's been the biggest benefit to whether it be the VBT, whether it be the heart rate system, is them them being able to get the feedback um, and and understand better what's going on with them. And then I always try to relate everything to what are the, you know, one of the first things we do with our athletes when they come in is we do personal goal setting. Like, what do you, what do you want to do? Where do you want to get to? Yeah. You know, I can tell you what we need and what we want from you in our program, but in year one and year two and year three and year four, what, what do you want to improve upon? Where do you want to get to? You know, they all want to play in the NHL, but <laughs> let's be specific about, you know, where do you want to get to? Okay. Now, let me show you how these tools help you achieve your goals. You know, do you do that beyond physical and actually get into like life goal setting and personal, you know, I want to be a better listener, I want to No. Think... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. It's uh, just pure just not, pure numbers. Not my realm. Yeah, not it's not with me. It's uh it's all it's all, you know, performance based and and I mean, I we've had guys that have, you know, come in and they're like listen I'm not going to play in the NHL like I want to you know I want to be a doctor so yeah, I know yeah. I need to do some other things and that's that's cool and, and those are you know separate conversations we definitely do that but no I mean I'm talking we we go through a a smart goal setting sure. uh, setup and we we I sit down with every player and sort of the coaches and we talk about you know uh, what what are your goals individually what are your team goals on the ice what can we do in here to help you achieve those? So I want you to set goals in here. I want to hang clean this much by the end of this year, whatever. But I try to get them to go beyond that. Okay, but relate what we're doing in here to on the ice. Because just just lifting more weight in here, I mean, it's great for my ego, I guess, but that doesn't necessarily make you a better hockey player. Like, tell me what's going to make you a better hockey player. Do you need to get faster? Okay, how can we measure that? All right, we can look at ten yard. We can look at power output with our jumps. We can do X, Y, and Z. Uh, let's set some goals, some smaller goals, uh, based around your larger goal of getting faster. And now we can look at those things. And now, when we look at heart rate response, uh, it's not just okay. That's great. That's what my heart rate did. No, now we can look at it and say, okay, um, when we were doing speed work, yeah, uh, we weren't recovering to a heart rate. Uh, zone that was low enough for you to be fully recovered so you you couldn't have gotten faster today because we didn't take care of that detail or something like that so now it becomes very uh all of the data becomes very individual to them it's not just general stuff but it's it's based on what they're trying to get better at 
So when you're when you got an athlete who has just walked into the door, you have to explain to him what a heart rate recovery number might be. He has to know, you know, okay, my um, I'm not sure what you're using percentages or numbers, whatever it might be, but like I want to improve in this thing. So then, how are you? communicating like the effectiveness of the training to these guys like we're in a very specific training block and this is going to get us this goal and i know that you want to be a more efficient skater but right now we're in hypertrophy right now we're in whatever so how do you communicate the differences in the training that you're doing compared to the overall long-term goals that they're trying to set yeah well we try to talk as a group every single day before we start um, about what exactly we're trying to achieve today how that puzzle piece fits into the larger puzzle. You know, exactly like you said, okay, your was this. I'm telling you, I'm trying to explain to you that uh, we need to take these steps to get to that point. This this is, we're all down on this step. Mm-hmm. So I know you want to do that, but you got, we got to do this better. Um, and so it's, again, it's an education process. I, I'm huge on, on education and teaching them why we're doing what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, as a specific example, like in our pre-lift, so um, I think you guys were here in season, so you probably didn't see a lot of our, our pre-lift stuff. But in the off season, we go through about forty minutes of work before we even touch a weight. We're doing all our, our speed work or our agility work, plyometrics, med ball, sled, uh, all all of that stuff is going to happen before we before we strength train. Yep, uh, and that's all based on heart rate recovery so we put our heart rate system up on the tv so you actually see it live so they see it live yeah and based on the based on where we are in the program what phase we're in what we're trying to achieve from an energy system standpoint they have to wait until they recover to certain thresholds so if we're in a very alactic aerobic you know early off season very alactic aerobic high power outputs full recoveries they have to get below 60 percent heart rate before they can go from hurdle jump to med ball throw, for instance, yep. or, or in between uh, 10-yard sprints, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Later, in this, later in the summer, when we get more into a capacity phase, that threshold might be moved up to, to 70%. So now they have to perform exercise, perform power output in the presence of fatigue. But educating them as to why they early in the offseason, hey, I want, I want you to sit down and wait. And don't, you're not just going one thing to the next to the next to the next. You need to sit down and wait until that color turns to whatever, gray. Sure. Um, and this is why. Because if, you, if we get this, if we develop this quality, then we can develop that quality. We develop yeah. that quality. Now, remember how you said you wanted to be faster? Now we're actually going to be faster. We're not just doing work for work's sake. But we're actually improving the specific pieces that you told me are the things that you want to improve upon. And again, it goes back to that that education process, which drives buy-in, which drives trust, um, which ultimately, big picture, builds culture. And now, uh, again, it's not, it's, you know, now my seniors are are telling freshmen to sit down in between reps uh, because this is what we do. Like, I I can sit behind my desk and not do anything if things are going well. You know, I call it the self-cleaning oven. Uh, If if the program is going well, then in all reality, I can sit back here and I could just be on Facebook all day and my leadership, like it'll run itself. The program will run and they'll do what they're supposed to do and they'll do it right. They'll do it. You know, that's where you try to get to, yeah. but it's a, it's a building process. So, um, 
give me give me like you know one one thing that we like to talk about is you know the actual technique so you're going to educate an athlete um what what type of terminology are you telling a guy like hey we're going to build a house and the foundation needs to be here first or something like that like what types of things do you use as far as cues go to help educate them and understand why you're doing foundational elements or why you're doing specific training type of first yeah i i think you try to i try to I try to speak the language, right? I try to speak hockey, and I, and I was a hockey player, so that's it's easy for me. Sure. But um, I try to relate things in the terms that that matter to them. I try to, you know, um, if they they again go back to the example, I want to be a faster skater. You know, well, which which hockey player, you know, which NHL player right now do you want to look like? You know, do you want to be Patrick Kane, or do you want to be you know whoever? Yeah. Yeah, like what? What are you trying to achieve? Both have speed, like, but have different ways of getting there. Exactly. So using using examples like that, and then um, <clears throat> those are those are the big. I I really think it's it's speaking speaking to the athlete in their terminology. Same thing with field hockey. I try to watch field hockey. I try to learn. You know, I never played a game of field hockey in my life. I <laughs> barely understand the rules. But if I can talk to them about you know in in their terminology. Um, Again, we might be doing the same thing that the ice hockey team did that day. From a maybe we're both doing ten yard sprints, but I'm going to talk to them about why it matters for them a little bit different than I'm going to talk to or relate it to the to the hockey guys. You know, because sure. the hockey guys, well, we don't run on land, so what is how does this translate? So I got to talk to them differently. Field hockey, well, obviously this is much more direct, directly applicable to what you're doing. So it comes down to trying to speak speak the language of the athlete i think that's great that's definitely a great tip well believe it or not an hour flies by that fast it's just uh it's a good <laughs> chat Talk shop. we go all day man go all day and, that's and that's the best part about this like i i you know I, I try to keep it as light as possible because it i don't know if you if you go into a format it just it just dies you gotta you gotta just let the conversation happen naturally yeah. so sure. um you know i definitely appreciate it uh, anything you want to add before we roll off here? Um, contact information, like if anybody wants to reach out to you on Twitter or email or anything else like that, or if they want to call your cell phone and yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> let me give you my wife's phone number. That'd go over really well. Uh, no, Twitter at uh, dmcconnell29. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, quite a bit. Yep. Um, you can email me uh, dmcconnell29 at gmail is my uh, my email. Feel free if anybody wants to reach out and. Um, I'm happy to happy to chat. I always like talking shops, so yeah. hit me up or you know, uh, shoot me a message on on Twitter, or follow me, or respond to something I say, and sure. argue with me if you want or whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a good Twitter fight. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, cool, man. Well, thank you again, Devin, and uh, you know, uh, good luck this season. It's coming up quick, man. Summer's almost over. Barely catch my breath, and we're we're back at it. So, yeah, <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you very much. All right. And that wraps it up for episode number six of the Coach Me Plus Applied Sports Science podcast. Uh, thanks to Coach Devin McConnell for being on. He was awesome. Um, some great stuff in there, you know, about, uh, you know, dealing with the realities of being a coach and, and multiple teams and how you get to work with guys when you're able to deal with them. Uh, in person, remotely, and so on. Uh, I love the stuff about his regen. You know, it's like just shut down and chill out for the day and actually go walk around the river and enjoy time, um, you know. 
Uh, good stuff in there. So uh, look for us again in about two weeks for the next podcast. You can subscribe using your app, whatever iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is that you're using. And, of course, go to CoachMePlus.com. Click the subscribe link in the top right corner and subscribe to our Applied Sports Science newsletter. Um, it's uh, good information. You know, we don't try and sell anything or spam you with stuff. It's really all about uh, what's happening in the industry uh, news updates and, of course, latest in white papers and research. Um, thanks again, and we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye bye.